Hey, you're about to watch a message that was recorded live at Grace Family Church, South Africa. At Grace, we say come as you are. And our mission is to love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope that you're encouraged by the message you're about to watch. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So as you can see, as Wayne said, we start a new sermon series today called Miraculous. And it's really all about the miracles of Jesus. It's all about God's power to transform our lives. Now, if you're new or perhaps you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ and you're watching this, maybe you're skeptical of this whole idea of miracles. And and I totally get that. I was like that for quite some time. But, But hold on, stay with me, because all of us at some point in our lives need some kind of miracle, right? an intervention, a breakthrough perhaps. You may need one right now. And so each week as we explore a different miracle of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, I believe each week, no matter who you are, there will be something in it for you. Now the miracle we're looking at today is, the, 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 is Jesus' first miracle, the miracle of turning water into wine. And perhaps the story you're familiar with, I know I've preached this text from the scriptures before. In fact, in February 2019, I preached this this scripture as part of our new wine series. And as I was preparing for today, I was kind of like, God, you know, what do you want me to say? Because isn't this the same story? Haven't people heard this all before? And I felt like God said to me very clearly in that moment, it may be the same story, but we're not in the same situation. The world has changed. Things have not turned out the way we thought they would. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I know I need to be reminded in this season what God has said to me in a previous season. And so we're in a a new situation, a new season. And I absolutely believe as we sung in the worship that God wants to do something new in us and through us. 
We're entering a post-COVID world, heading into stage one from midnight tonight here in South Africa. But none of us really know what a post-COVID world will be like. There's theories, and, and, and will it ever be the same? Do we want it to be the same? What, what has been good in this? What has been bad? And, and, and I'm telling you, you know, we, we don't really know. But I do know that people are, are hurting. People are desperate right now. Last Sunday, we invited you to come to receive prayer in the parking lots of our facilities, of our campuses. And I here at Amschlange had the privilege of praying for many people who came, many families. And to be honest, I was, I was kind of shattered. I was blown away by just the, the, the circumstances that so many people are dealing with, the pain and the hurt. I prayed for a couple who lost their child seven weeks ago, a twin who died at birth. And the other twin is right now fighting for his life in ICU. The dad couldn't even see his children because of COVID restrictions. I prayed for a wife who lost her husband in the middle of lockdown. I prayed for a family who've lost everything, lost their business. I mean, this is real stuff. And it's not just the tragedies and the big losses like that. I think everyone's lost something. Everyone's running out or run out of something. And that's why the story from the scriptures today is so powerful for us because this is what precipitated the miracle. The wine had run out. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. The wine had stopped flowing. Everything was going well until it wasn't. Everything was going well and then you find out the news. Everything was going well, then you got the diagnosis. Everything was going well, then COVID-19. Of course, running out of wine would have been humiliating and awkward for the bride and groom. Perhaps to us today, it's not such a big deal. You, you know, nowadays you run out of wine at a wedding. It's probably a good thing because <laughs> you know your family. You know, you know, you've got some crazy friends. But, but in the culture of Jesus' day, it was the epitome of social dishonor to invite guests and then not be able to provide for them. And so Jesus shows up in this wedding and they've run out of wine. And so here's my question for you today. What have you run out of? What are you running out of right now? Or what are you constantly afraid of running out of? In this kind of lockdown season, I'll be honest, there have been times when I've thought, what if no one comes back? <laughs> what if this whole thing is over? We, I mean, we've been doing renovations at uh, some of our campuses, getting ready you know, for this moment, for next week. And, 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 and I'm thinking, what if we're dressing up a bride for a wedding that won't happen? I mean, I can see the headlines. Mark and Christine von Straten build 28-year grace heritage. You know, Tom and Wayne destroyed all in 18 months. I mean, <laughs> we're all afraid of running out of something. So what have you run out of? Or what are you running low on? Maybe it's not wine. I mean, we ran out of wine in that 35-day lockdown. It was a major crisis. But, but maybe it's not wine. How about joy? How about the fact that you haven't been happy in a long time? I remember going on holiday a few years ago with Jess and our family, and I remember on the second night of our holiday, Jess said to me, you know, Tom, you don't laugh as much as you used to. And it hit me, even made me angry at the time, but she was right. She usually is. <laughs> She's sitting right there by the camera. <laughs> what about peace? Have you run out of peace? Have you run out of patience? Maybe you've run out of ideas of how to fix that relationship. At the wedding, they'd run out of wine. But here's the deal. When the wine was gone, the miracle started. 
when, the, when they ran out of what they brought, when they ran out of what they had, when, when they ran out of what they'd planned for, that's when Jesus did his best work, does his best work. So often, the time when I'm running low is the perfect time for God to display his glory. I was listening to a podcast the other day by a guy named Mark Sayers. He's a, he's a pastor, but he's also kind of a culturalist. He studies culture, and he talks about what he calls the secular salvation story. And he says that this story stands in direct opposition to the gospel story. You see, the gospel kind of is that, that, this idea that we are made in the image of God, every single human being with infinite worth and value. We are imago Dei, the image bearers of God. But then... We've been marred by sin. Something went wrong and has gone wrong and we live in a fallen and a broken world. But then because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we have been and are, re and are being remade. That's the gospel story. Made, marred, remade. Now the secular salvation story has many of the same elements, but it's fundamentally flawed. It, it, it goes something like this. You're familiar with the story. It goes, you know, so-and-so is having a hard time struggling with an addiction or depression, or perhaps uh, she doesn't feel, he doesn't feel that he knows his purpose, uh, until one day, you know, he comes to the end of himself and in the process discovers something deep inside of him that he's forgotten and through willpower and perseverance and through books and healthy eating and all of that stuff, he, he kind of rediscovers his purpose and his passion. And as a result, he finds success or celebrity or wealth or fame or wholeness. Now he is successful. He is fulfilled. And I mean, when I look around Gateway or the Lifestyle Center or I scroll through my Instagram feed, I mean, this is like the dream that we get sold. This is the goal. This is what's on the posters. But this is what Mark Sayers calls the kingdom without the king. See, in this story, I'm my own king, not Jesus. And it's so easy for us to twist the gospel into this story where, where our faith merely becomes some kind of you know, self-help philosophy that we use to just further our own kingdom of wants. Church becomes just one other thing we do to help us feel better. And let me be real clear. And real honest with you, that's not why I became a pastor. To, to be a chaplain over a kingdom of wants. Uh, of course, there's nothing wrong with success, self-actualization, ambition, personal discovery. All of that's good. But a kingdom without the king will always crumble. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, because, you see, the COVID pandemic, I think, has completely undermined the secular salvation story. Because people are realizing just how fickle and unreliable all these things we've lent on for so long actually are. Fame and wealth and celebrity and health and success and, the st and stocks, all these things can be taken away in an instant because of a small little virus. And that's why this pandemic, if we choose to see it that way, can actually be a gift to the kingdom, a gift to the church, a gift to us. Because people are realizing, I think, perhaps more than ever before, what really matters, like relationships and family and God and faith and community. And I know the experts all tell us that, you know, we're going to stay at home more and maybe the church will never recover. And, and, but you know what? There's something inside of me that just rejects that. Because while the world may have changed, God has not changed. 
And human nature has not changed. And what I see around me when I get to pray for people and see people driving into our campuses and speaking to people I bump into, an even greater longing for connection and community and contact. I'm so excited about this move to stage one where we can gather again because as great as online has been, and it will we'll always continue to do that, as great as it's been, there's nothing like being together. So hopefully, like me, you too have a sense of kind of hope right now where, that we're going to come out of this, we're going to get going, we're going to take hold of the next season. But there is a paradox in this because even though it's exciting and maybe you have a sense of hope, just like the guests would have had at the wedding, at the same time, perhaps you feel low like you've run out. And so what do we do with this paradox? What do we do when we feel like we've run out? Well, I want to just give you three ideas taken straight from the scripture, straight from the story that I think are vital for you if you are to respond in this season to the miracle that God wants to do in your life. First point of this, invite him. Invite him. I mean, have you ever wondered why Jesus was even at the wedding in the first place? I mean, we, we don't actually have to wonder because the Bible gives us the answer. It's right there in the first line of the story. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Why was Jesus there? Because he was invited. And the point is, it's amazing what God will do when we invite him. You'd be surprised where God might show up when he's invited. That's the first point. If you feel like you've run out, invite him in. Invite him into your life. Invite him into your heart. I, I think sometimes, I know I've done this, but we invite God into some rooms of our house, but not all the rooms. <laughs> like at a wedding, we maybe put him at the back table. <laughs> you know that table at the wedding? Uh, I do because that's where I most often sit, <laughs> with the photographer and the makeup artist and the DJ. <laughs> We're like the service providers, you know. I always joke with the DJ, like, Abraham, my job's done. You've got to stay up till midnight. <laughs> but, but we do that sometimes. You know, hey, God, I need your help over here, so please come in here. I invite you there. I invite you into my marriage because you know what a mess that is. You know, I invite you into this, but, but don't come into my finances. You know, don't come into my, my, my sex life. You know, you can be king over here, but not over here, because that's my little kingdom. But what I've discovered is that Jesus doesn't want to be king over some of my life. He wants to be Lord over all of it. But he won't invade. You know, he's not that kind of king. He has to be invited in. The scripture says he stands at the door and knocks, but you have to open the door and let him in. But when we do, I'm absolutely convinced he shows up. I mean, God will show up anywhere, everywhere. God will show up in your car if you invite him in. He'll show up in your work cubicle if you invite him in. He, he, I mean, haven't we learned that in lockdown, that God is not bound to a building or a service? I, I love that, that, that God has blessed us with our amazing facilities that we have. It's such a privilege. But, but, and, and I can't wait to gather again in those. But, but there's nothing, you know, let's not lose the lesson in the season that God is with us wherever we invite him. In our homes, through our screens, wherever. And so here's the question. Have you invited him into every area of your life? Have you invited him into those empty places where the wine has run out? Just before I move on to the second point, I think this invitation, 
for me, it's not just about inviting Jesus in. I think it's also about inviting your world, inviting the people in your life who you know have run out, who you know perhaps are desperate right now or need a miracle right now. Invite them. Who knows what might happen? We've been saying, you know, over the past few months, you know, like, share, subscribe, because when you click the like button, it tells YouTube this is a good video and others can see it. We do that every week. And this is not some marketing gimmick. This is real stuff. I mean, when you share this with someone you know, someone that I could never reach, we could never reach on our own, you plant a seed. And who knows what God might do with that seed? Chances are you're watching this or you call Grace Family Church your home because someone invited you. So who are you inviting? As, as much as we want people to invite Christ into their lives, the deeper truth is this, that Christ actually invites us into his life. And his invitation to this abundant life, it's for everyone. Everyone, all people, all people. That's why we have come as you are written on all of our walls and on our branding. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will fight to keep grace a place where everyone, all people, can come as they are and experience Jesus in their lives. Let's get back to the story, to the wedding. The wine has run out. And Mary's gone to tell Jesus. And, and then Jesus says something that, just a little hint here, I, I would not recommend you say, he says, woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> My hour has not yet come. I tried that the other night with Jess when she asked me to come help settle the kids. Um, it did not go down so well. Um, I told her I was practicing my sermon, but she didn't buy it. But, you know, woman, why do you involve me? But, but you've got to give Mary credit, though, because she knew the next step when things have run out. First, you have to invite him, but then you have to go the next step, involve him. Mary knew something, or, or rather she knew someone, and she doesn't go to the wedding planner, she doesn't go to the couple, she doesn't go to the master of ceremonies. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother didn't know what to do, but she knew who to go to. And she didn't tell Jesus out of a need to inform him. I mean, he already knew the wine had run out. I'm sure there was all kinds of chatter going on. She wasn't doing it to inform him, she was doing it to involve him. And I don't think she knew what he was going to do, but she knew who he was. And she knew that if Jesus got involved, things would change. They always do. So, do you know where to go to when you're running low? Running low on joy, running low on peace, running low on wisdom. Maybe that's you listening today. You don't know what to do right now, but if you knew who to go to. And perhaps the reason you've been running out is because you've been running around to people who don't have what you need because they can't give it. They don't have it. They've got their own stuff. They're running dry too. But as I've heard another preacher say, he says, if you go to the man from Galilee, if you go to the one whose name is life, and you don't just invite him, but you actually involve him. In other words, you involve him in your decision making. You actually ask God, God, what do you think? Before I jump into this relationship, before I go ahead, before I make this decision, what do you think, God? You involve him in your parenting. You involve him in your marriage. I mean, I need help. God, I invite you in, but I also need you to get involved here. I need you to help me. Won't you help me? Be more patient. Be less reactive. Be less angry. I need you to get involved. I don't have what it takes on my own. I wasn't going to share this, but even on the way to church this morning, I was 
driving in my car, listening to one of my favorite worship songs, says, so will I. And I was praying to God about our family. And I felt like a line st- stood out to me. It says, when you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. I feel like I've made a hundred billion failures as a father, as a husband. But when God speaks, those failures disappear. But you've got to invite him in. You've got to involve him. And that means you have to make time to hear him. You have to humble yourself. It means you have to get involved yourself. Mary knew who she needed to go to. And it's interesting because then she turns to the servants, not to Jesus, and she says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> do whatever. He, because she knew if they got involved, he'd get involved. And that's actually the third and final point. When we feel like we've run out, we have to invite him. We have to involve him. And then we have to do what he says. Guys, I don't know how to, I can't sugarcoat this. This is simple obedience. And and maybe we don't like the word obedience, but it's an important word. Obedience unlocks understanding. The miraculous almost always follows obedience. And Jesus himself said, those who love me obey my teachings. Do what he says. And I know what you're thinking. I I mean, even though you're watching this through a screen, there's some people in the room. I know, you know, you're thinking, well, if I knew what God wanted me to do, I mean, you make it sound so simple, but I don't always know what he wants me to do. You know, I've been praying about whether I should take that other job. I mean, asking God if she's the one, he's the one. But let me just say this. So often the reason we're running low, it isn't because we don't know what to do. It's because we don't do what we already know. Peter Haas says this, a lack of invitation affects far more people than a lack of information. We say, if I knew what to do, I'd do it. And God says, hey, if you would do what you already knew. I mean, I was thinking about it. I I have five Bible apps on my phone right now. (laughs) Literally, I have five. They're like the Logos, the Greek, the thing, the U version. But what I found out is that they don't really help much if I don't open them. And so often the times I've got myself into trouble in life, it wasn't because I didn't know, it's because I didn't do what I knew. And my parents tried to tell me, and my friends tried to tell me, my wife tried to tell me, the scriptures tried to tell me. And maybe you think, well, I don't like this sermon so much anymore, Tom. (laughs) Because so often, you know, you want the water to change to wine, but you don't want to do anything. You want the bitterness to turn to happiness, but you don't want to give that thing up. You want apathy to change to passion in your relationships, but you won't go see the counselor. Heck, you won't even say you're sorry. Jesus' mother's instructions were simple. Not easy, but simple. Do what he says. You may not know a lot, but I believe you know enough to take the next step. And that's why I love the next word and the, the next line in the story, because it says, nearby. Nearby stood six stone jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Without going into too much detail, these were essentially common jars used for a common purpose. There was nothing fancy about the jars. Um, Everyone would have walked past these jars into the wedding, probably not even noticed them, would have washed their hands. This was like the ancient sanitization station that we have. You know, get your temperature, wash your hands, get this, you know, spray. Um, And Jesus looks at those jars and says, that's what I want. The ones everyone walked by without even noticing. That's what I want to use to reveal my glory today here in Cana of Galilee. 
I want to take an ordinary thing and use it to do an extraordinary miracle. I believe for you watching now today, sometimes the solution you're looking for, it's right in front of you. It's not some spectacular thing. That's our problem. We're looking for God in the, in the spectacular. Like Wayne spoke a few weeks ago in the, in the fire and the earthquake when he comes in a small, quiet whisper. So often what we need is nearby. It's right there. The answers I need, it's, it's in the Bible reading plan on the Bible app I already have on my phone. <laughs> the wisdom I need, it's right there. It's right there for you. Maybe in the spouse you chose to do life with 15 years ago, but you've stopped listening to. It's all there. It's nearby. God, I don't need you to clarify. I need you to give me courage to do what I knew that I didn't do the last time. Amen? A stone jar, a common jar, was a setting for an uncommon miracle. Jesus said, bring me those. And then he says, fill the jars. This is where it gets exciting with water. So they filled them to the brim. And I love this, to the brim. It's this picture of overflow. Water in the scriptures is a picture of life. 20 to 30 gallons each. That's like a thousand bottles of wine. (laughs) More than they needed, much more. I mean, whatever you think about Jesus, one thing you can't think is it was boring to hang around with him. I mean, this was fun to take to a party, you know. Why was it so extravagant? Well, I think it's because that's, that's who God is. God is the God of more than enough, as Mark Perret shared so beautifully last week. He is enough now. It's not that God doesn't have it or he's holding back. It's just that so often we're busy pointing to what's not there and we miss what is. The people needed wine, but Jesus points to water. He doesn't point to what they need. He points to what they already have. And he uses what they already have that's right in front of them to do the miracle. And then I love how the story ends. Let me read it to you as we close. It says, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Grace Family Church, could it be that God still does this? Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. I mean, that's how our world works, right? It's good for a little while. It tastes good for a while and then it runs out. It it gets bitter. That's the secular salvation story. The kingdom without the king. The master of the banquet says, man, with Jesus, it's different. It just gets better and better and sweeter and sweeter. If I can be so bold today as to declare that over your life and over this church, that your best days, our best days are not behind us, that God didn't let you run out because he left you. He let it run out so he could give you something better than what you brought to the party to begin with. And he has indeed saved the best till now. Verse 9 says he didn't realize where it had come from, but the servants knew. And this is actually my favorite line in the whole scripture because what's so amazing is, don't miss this, Jesus didn't even take credit for the miracle. He didn't take credit for it. And not only that, he covered the shame of the bride and groom. I think it's cool. This is the God I serve. That the first thing Jesus did to show who he was was not to expose shame, but to cover it. 
This is what God wants to do in your life and in mine. To cover our shame. To bless us, not just with enough, but with more than enough. When he speaks, a hundred billion failures disappear. Just before we end this service, I'd like to invite you to join me in taking communion. Hopefully by now you've managed to grab some bread or a cracker, some juice or wine. And if you haven't, you can quickly run down to the kitchen or grab some of that. But just in a moment, we're going to eat and drink together as we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. His body broken and His blood shed. You see, this miracle we've been speaking about today at the wedding was actually just a foretaste of what was to come, a foreshadowing of the greatest miracle ever. Jesus on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus is the new wine poured out for us, a living sacrifice to cover our shame, to cover our guilt. And he turned that which was meant for evil for good, ultimate good, our good. And I find it so interesting because the the wedding took place, it says, on the third day. I don't know what that means in terms of the, the Jewish calendar, what third day they're talking about. But I do know this, on another third day, Jesus' hour did in fact come. On the third day, a stone got rolled away and death got defeated. He saved the best for last, just like at that wedding. And now, today, for you, for me, He offers us the opportunity right now to receive new wine, to receive Him, to invite Him, to involve Him, to do what He says to turn the empty places into filled places, overflowing, and be used by Him, us, common vessels, you and I, for uncommon miracles, to reveal His glory, not just to a bunch of wedding guests, but to the whole world. Make no mistake, God is doing something new. The world may have changed, but He is not, and human nature is not. And Grace Family Church, we will gather again as a community. On the 27th, next week, on Heritage Day. How cool is that? We will gather as the church even stronger than before. And we'll continue to to broadcast this message as wide and as far as we can. Not because of us, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gave God thanks. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take it and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching, whoever you are, we're all invited to the table. Let's eat together. After supper, again, Jesus gave thanks to God. Then he took a cup of wine and said to his disciples, this is the blood, my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink together.
Won't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the new wine, a living sacrifice poured out for us so that we might be covered, our shame might be covered. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for this abundant life, this more than enough life that you've called us to and invite us to. Help us to invite you in, to involve you in every area of our lives and to do what you say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again. We hope that you were encouraged by the message that you just listened to. You have an opportunity now to share this on your social media platform for all the people that you're friends with. Another way that you can make a difference is through your giving. Your generosity goes far beyond these walls. And if you would like to give, you can find all the details for that at grace.org.za forward slash give. If you want to get connected, you can join a group at Grace. So why not email grouplife at grace.org.za. And if you want to find out any, if you want to watch any more of our other services or our messages, you can browse our website. And we hope that you are strengthened and encouraged by the, by the scriptures and the stories that are shared.